on track. The only thing that matters is a win. That's it. However, whatever, whatever it takes. Let's go, man. Let's win on three. One, two, three. Win. Live. 319. In the entertainment capital of the world. Vikings blitz. Manning got it off the rare deep throw. And maybe that's why they don't do it. Intercepted by Xavier Rhodes. It's the T.C. Martin Show. They're not used to this damn heat. They're over there trying to set up damn pits over there on the sidelines. Hey, it's Ron. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Okay, I ain't going to worry about you no more. 300 yards, four touchdowns. It's so sweet when you walk off the field knowing you get everything you got. Team win tonight. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? 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 Glad to have you with us on a thunderous Thursday edition of the TC Martin Show. Glad to have you with us today. Jam packed. Two hours of nonstop sports talk, of course, coming your way. Another all-star guest list today. Trevor Maddich will join us. The 15-time Emmy Award winner with ESPN College Football. Getting ready for the big game Monday night. Alabama, Georgia. Are we going to get a great game? Are we going to get a competitive great game? I mean, everything says we should. Two best teams in college football, bar none. Alabama and Georgia. We will talk to the big offensive linemen. Trevor Maddich does a fantastic job with ESPN. He's all over this. So we'll talk to Trevor. Great friend, great part of the team here on the show. Scott Spritzer will join us, our handicapper extraordinaire. Next hour he will join us. We preview week number 18 of the NFL. Get Scott's thoughts on who he's going with, too, with Alabama and Georgia. Also part of our best bets, both of those guys as well. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow we'll be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, giving you our best bets. Uh, not just our three best NFL games, but uh, the, N- the, the championship game will give you either a side, a total, and best prop bet as well, too. All right, Marco D'Angelo will join us tomorrow at the Cosmopolitan. But back to today's show, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. We'll talk to him about the return of Kyrie Irving last night. Played his first game with the Brooklyn Nets. Scored 22 points. That is a fiasco there. Because as you know, Kyrie Irving can only play in road games. Can't play in games in the state of New York. So, all kinds of drama there. And uh, a great feel-good story that we'll talk to the big 7-footer about. The return of Clay Thompson with the Warriors. Clay coming back on Sunday. Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Andre Iguodala, all of those guys. Very, very excited about that, and uh, so am I, because I love Clay Thompson. He's a great guy, just uh, tremendous, tremendous player, just a tremendous guy. So we'll get the big seven-footers' thoughts on that, and he's right there in San Francisco and, of course, follows the Warriors very, very closely. Nikki Fargus will join us, the president of the Las Vegas Aces, and we will get her thoughts about the hiring of Becky Hammond as the new Las Vegas Aces head coach. We'll talk to her about that. I think we'll also, uh, I think I talked a little bit about it the other day with Sam Gordon about Bill Lambeer. A lot of people thought Bill Lambeer got fired or got dismissed, and that wasn't the situation at all. So uh, we'll dive right into that with uh, Nikki Vargas. Her and Mark Davis you know, made that decision uh, to go with Becky Hammond, and they had been courting Becky Hammond for the last few months. So we will uh, 
get Nikki Vargas's uh, thoughts on that here in a matter of moments. But first, let's uh, talk about the big story of the day. And of course, you know, we got Raiders and we got Chargers, and that's coming Sunday night. Uh, but, you know, we've been talking a lot about Antonio Brown. Uh, TJ Reeves, our, our great friend uh, who does the Bucks sideline reporting, uh, we talked with him the other day, uh, you know, when, after. The fiasco happened in the Meadowlands where Antonio Brown, you know, ripped off his uh, shoulder pads and his jersey and took his uh, his gloves and threw them in the crowd there to the Jets fans at the Meadowlands and walked out. Um, the halftime blow up. This is where it all started. It, well, it's Antonio Brown. So and we detailed all of that our our terrible Tuesday segment uh, this past week. But uh, Antonio Brown, the halftime blow up in the locker room. This actually happened with Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Uh, Brown was brooding on the sideline. He wanted the ball more. Uh, he actually didn't get a pass on the possession before that he, he left and threw the tirade. Bruce Arians wanted him to go in. Brown refused. I believe the quote was, I ain't playing because I'm not getting the ball. And remember, this is midway through the third quarter. He, Bruce Arians said, hey, we need you in there. And Brown says, no, he goes, I'm done. And then Bruce Aaron said, get the F out of here. And then there we go. Off came the shoulder pads, gloves thrown in the crowd. He waves to the crowd, goes to the locker room, and that was it. After that game where the Buccaneers staged this miraculous comeback down 14 points, Tom Brady with no timeouts, 93 yards in less than a minute, got the touchdown, and the Buccaneers got the victory by three points over the Jets. Uh, and, of course, a lot of that got overshadowed because of the nonsense from Antonio Brown. So Bruce Arians, after that game, really didn't want, didn't say too much. The Bucks did not officially release him until today, and that's what happened. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers officially released Antonio Brown today. Um, what was going on here? That the the Bucks were trying to um, work this situation out with Antonio Brown, where they it sounded like they were trying to still get him paid. You know, Brown's agent reached out to the Bucks today and said that uh, they wanted his incentives of two million dollars to be paid. The Bucks said, "No, we're not doing it because he didn't live up to the incentives." And plus, the Bucks said they tried to set up doctor's appointments for Brown for his injured ankle. Uh, Brown claiming that he was not able to play because of the injured ankle. So. The Buccaneers staff said, well, you know what? We'll set up a doctor's appointment. Let's get the evaluation. Let's get you checked out. He, uh, Antonio Brown never returned phone calls to set up those appointments. Uh, the the Bucks said they could not get his medical records. They said they were willing to put him on IR, which means that he would have continued to get paid, but uh, that didn't happen. So then today they said enough's enough. They officially released him today. So here's Bruce Arians talking about the situation, and this is the most forthcoming we heard with Bruce Arians as he talked to the media today in Tampa Bay. Obviously, we let Antonio go today. Um, Just to clear you up on some things that happened, at no point in time during that game did he ever ask the trainer or doctor about his ankle. He never went through. That's the normal protocol. You go through protocols during games. I was never notified of it. So, obviously, that was a, the disturbing thing when we were looking for him to go back into the game. All right, we always had, uh, he was very upset at halftime about who was getting targeted. Got that calmed down, 
players took care of that. It started again on the sideline. We called for the personnel group that he had played in the entire game. He refused to go in the game. That's when I looked back and saw him basically wave off the coach. Um, I then went back, approached him about what was going on. Uh, I ain't playing. What's going on? I ain't getting the ball. That's when I said, you're done. Get the F out of here. And that's the, that's the, that's the end of it. And uh, we, are work, we are working on Carolina. That's the end of the story. And um, hopefully it ends today. All right. Uh, appreciate Bruce Arians for saying all that. And he could have said that. After the game on Sunday, you could have said it Monday at his press conference, but today he addressed it, and uh, hopefully that's good enough for everybody else. And because the Buccaneers, they got playoffs on their mind. They want to defend a Super Bowl. Here's Tom Brady today talking about it. I think there's a lot of personal, obviously, feelings. Um, I don't think there's really a week to discuss it, though. So, you know, I'm just going to do the best I can do as quarterback of the team and um, try to put together a great week, finish strong. Um, I mean, you just always deal with different things over the course of the season. That's what we're doing this week. I think you'd always like to target, you know, you want to get everybody involved, obviously, and I think, you know, the receiver position is there's always, uh, you know, it's they're a long ways from the football, you know, when you stand out there. So as a quarterback, you just, you obviously do the best you could do. You know, you try to read the coverage and try to find the open guy and you know, realize that guys are going to be open and, Unfortunately, you don't get it sometimes, and other times, you know, you make bad reads and you make bad throws, and just part of playing football, playing quarterback. Like I said, I think every year you have different challenges and adversities, and I think the point is no two years are ever the same. And, um, you know, as much as you would love to think, hey, let's just do it like we did last year, it never is the case, and you got to work differently. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of different injuries this year at defense, some on offense, um, guys in and out. And you just try to figure out different formulas to win each week. So um, this is a unique week, you know, it's last week of the year. Um, but different guys are kind of stepping into different roles and, and doing uh, the best job they possibly can. All right. There is uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians talking about the Antonio Brown situation. Here is the official statement that the Buccaneers released today on Antonio Brown. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have terminated the contract of Antonio Brown effective immediately. While Antonio did receive treatment on his ankle and was listed on the injury report the week leading up to last Sunday's game, he was cleared to play by our medical team prior to the start of the game, and at no point during the game did he indicate to our medical personnel that he could not play. We have attempted multiple times throughout this week to schedule an evaluation by an outside orthopedic specialist, yet Antonio has not compiled. Maintaining the health and wellness of our players is the utmost importance for our organization. There's the statement from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the release of Antonio Brown. Here's the bottom line. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers knew what they were getting when they signed Antonio Brown. They knew that this was could be a possibility. And everything that they went through with him last year and then everything that transpired during the offseason, and we went through the timeline on Tuesday regarding Antonio Brown basically for the last three years, going back when he had the problems with Mike Tomlin, to the Raiders, to the Patriots, and to the Buccaneers. 
So unfortunate that they have to answer these questions, especially at this time when you're trying to defend a Super Bowl title. You're getting ready. You're still fighting for playoff positioning uh, for the postseason here. And uh, the Buccaneers have a game coming up Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, which they need to win uh, to secure that number two seed so they can at least have home field advantage. You know, and if the Packers get knocked off, then they can have home field advantage you know, throughout. But uh, Bruce Arians said today, He's very clear, talked about what happened. That's the first time we really got those details when we talked to T.J. Reeves, our guy in Tampa Bay, a couple days ago. He was on the sidelines when this happened, but uh, today you heard from Bruce Arians exactly what transpired, and uh, hopefully, for the Buccaneers' sake, that they can be done with this. They don't have to answer any more questions. And, of course, Antonio Brown is going to try to get more money, just like he did you know, from the Raiders, just like he tried to do from the Patriots, and the Steelers prior to, and it's always an after-the-fact type of thing. So uh, uh, we'll see what happens uh, here. But uh, bottom line is uh, this, this story is over, and more than likely Antonio Brown's um, you know, career you know, could be over. But we've said that before, too. So we'll see what happens. All right. Like we said, a lot to cover on the show here today. we got NBA to talk about, college football, and, of course, Raiders Chargers. But uh, I want to bring in... Uh, our good friend Nikki Vargas, the president of the Las Vegas Aces, because, of course, the Aces made some headline news in the past few days as well, too, with uh, with Nikki and Mark Davis, the hiring of Becky Hammond as their new head coach, and uh, always a pleasure uh, talking uh, with Nikki, the Aces president. How you doing, Nikki? I am great. Yes, Happy New Year. Right back at you. So how has is, how is your offseason been? <laughs> um, or is there been, such a thing right <laughs> yeah i don't know there's no such thing as an off season but it's it's been amazing you know i have such an unbelievable staff and and um i work with um a, a great group of people and obviously mark um davis uh larry delson their leadership through through all of this um, has has just been so supportive, and we're excited with the addition of Becky Hammond, um, having a former uh, WNBA player. Obviously, everybody knows her career on the basketball court and then what she's done um, uh, as far as coaching. And then prior to that, we had also added another uh, former WNBA great, Jennifer Azey, uh, to our team. So it's an exciting time for the Aces. Um, we obviously can't say thank you enough to Bill Lambeer and what he has meant not only to our organization but to the entire league and to so many players. Um, and, and just he's been um, just very supportive through all of this as well. And, um, again, we, we bring it in the new year. Um, this was all wrapped up in a bow. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I mean, what, way, what better way to start 2022? So, Nikki, talk about the process and how this all unfolded with Becky Hamming becoming the coach. Well, the process started with Mark Davis. Um, he really has shown um, not only us but the league that when you invest um, in, these, uh, in these young ladies, you invest in coaches, you invest in people, um, that we can elevate this league. We can make this league the best league um, in the in the in the world because we have some of the best athletes in the world uh, playing uh, in the W and and when we 
started our alumni initiative, um, you know, the Raiders way. They were huge with making sure they stay connected with so many of the former players. And having um, been able to witness that firsthand, I knew the importance of our alumni initiative um, with the Aces. And so we invited um, those who played for Utah, San Antonio. We invited them plus a guest um, um, back to uh, an Aces game, all expense paid, and to meet the team, um, COVID restrictions, but to also get to know Mark, to get to know myself, to get to know um, that you have a home, that this is where um, you, 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 you will never be forgotten. Um, we appreciate um, the service and all that you've done um, in committing to this game and allowing these young ladies 25 years later to have a place to play, compete, train, work, earn a living. Um, we, need to, we need to pay them more, the players, um, and we need to invest more in them. But that's where it started, and Becky came back, and this year we retired Becky's jersey. So, you know, myself, uh, Mark, our team, Larry, Matt, we had a chance to visit with Becky and her family, unbelievable person, first and foremost. Um, but I think by acknowledging that Becky Hammond, her jersey is now hanging in the rafters of Michelob Ultra Arena, um, that says a lot about the commitment that we have to our former players, even if the franchise is only four years old. And, I, and, and, and Mark's vision to connect the past with the future um, by honoring them in the present moment. That has resonated throughout our entire culture here at, with the Aces. And when I called Becky or inquired, first I went through the Pacers, their general, uh, sorry, not the Pacers, the uh, San Antonio, their general manager, spoke with them, got permission. And from there, honestly, Becky and I had several conversations, like-minded, like-spirited, very patient through this process because this was going to be a huge decision. Um, but this is what, this is Becky. Becky started here. She'll tell you right now, she would not be where she is today without the W. And so it, it brings me great honor to have introduced and made that phone call um, on behalf of the ACES organization um, offering her this position. Yeah, we know that Becky is one of the best players to ever play in the WNBA. And again, she's well-respected in all of professional basketball circles. Like you mentioned, hired by Greg Popovich nine years ago to be his Mm -hmm. assistant, which was unheard of at that point in time. The first woman to be an assistant head coach there. And like I talk about, too, this isn't that that was a a token uh, hire at all. She's not at the end of the bench. I mean, she's one of Greg's, you know, know, right-hand people. There's no question about that. She's interviewed for head coaching jobs in the NBA, specifically there in Portland, where I know that she thought that she actually may have a shot at, at getting that. But what impressed you and Mark most uh, about Becky? She's a competitor, and and competition is competition, and she's not looking at, well, I'm coaching in a women's league or I've coached in a men's league. She's coaching the best. And this gives her an opportunity, too. We knew that um, we've been right there. And we, we, we knew that Becky Hammond um, is, is that person that will bring a wealth of knowledge. Um, she will bring an intensity, uh, the energy that, it, 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 that you have to sustain um, when, when, you're, when you're building a dynasty. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Uh, we want to bring home the first championship to Las Vegas. And Becky Hammond has all of the credentials 
Um, but she also has the, has the desire and the passion to see it through. And her ability to put together a, a remarkable team around her, um, that's going to be equally as important as getting her. And we're going to give her the, those resources to do so um, because this is about um, these young ladies and this about this organization and how do we give back to the community. We knew that she would be a great ambassador as well in the Las Vegas community um, along with the players that we have and some of the initiatives that we're going to roll out. Um, you, just kn- you just knew. Becky has, and I mentioned this before, um, she has a presence about her when she walks in the room. Um, she's, you know, she's not a, she's not standing six feet tall, but her, her presence and, and, and her heart is that of a giant. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think when you're, when you're really wanting to move the needle and bring a lot of attention, a lot of awareness and eyes on a unbelievable product on the floor, I think you also have to have that attention put on these dynamic coaches and she's one of them. Yep. Nikki Fargus joins us. The just complete her first year as the president of the Las Vegas Aces, uh, one of Mark Davis's, uh, you know, first hires, and again, uh, you know, a, a fantastic hire there. Of course, as we know now, Nikki, I want to go back uh, and talk about Bill Lambeer because some fans may mm-hmm. be a little confused because there didn't seem to be like there was a coach's opening like we traditionally see. Normally, there's uh, a firing or a retirement or there's an announcement by an organization that says they're mutually parting of the ways. Uh, so, and, and there really wasn't any of that. Next thing, you know, you know, fans are hearing, hey, uh, Becky Hammond is the coach, and what's up with Bill Lambeer? What was Bill's involvement and thoughts uh, about this during this whole decision process? Well, you know, well, you know, Bill has made a huge contribution to this game um, over 20 years. And um, we were discussing what the future of the franchise would look like. He would say, you know, Nikki, there's going to be that day that I'm going to go away. <laughs> right. And I was, and, and, um, and so we started thinking um, about his replacement. Um, we'd started talking about it. We had open discussions about it. And um, he, ha- he also had some strong candidates. And, and when I mentioned to him, I said, well, what do you think about Becky Hammond? And his first reaction would be his first reaction was, was that would be great. He was in full support of Becky Hammond being our next head coach. He has um, basically said, "What can I do? Um, what is needed?" Um, because he cares about these um, these players. He cares about this franchise. Um, he was here at the beginning when 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 um, MGM bought the Aces. And so we are all appreciative of Bill and also um, how he has assembled a great nucleus of young women for Becky Hammond to, to lead. And that's, and that's, part, of his, that's part of his doing. And so right now he's um, assisting with the transitioning um, of, 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 of Becky, obviously having – her responsibilities with the Spurs. Um, so he is going to continue to assist as we transition 
um, and, 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 and building out our 2022 roster. Yeah, I think it's important for uh, fans to know that Bill Lambert is still involved in the organization. He's still part of the yeah. organization, a- absolutely, and it's great. You know, when I talk about this, Nikki, and – you know, I'm such a big advocate, as you know, you know, of the Aces, and you have a high-profile franchise like this has become. And to, in order to have a high-profile franchise, it usually starts with this, in my opinion. You have to have a marquee owner, okay? Obviously, uh-huh. the Aces check the box with that. And then you have to have a marquee head coach, and definitely you have checked the box with that with Bill Lambeer, and now you've added Becky Hammond, so there you go. And then, as you know, you have to have either a star player or you have to have you know several star players, and the product has to be good on the floor. And the Aces have checked every one of those boxes. Oh, and by the way, you're located in the sports and entertainment capital of the world, <laughs> and the results, and here's the most important part, the results are there. Since the yeah. Aces have relocated from San Antonio, rebranded, did everything, I mean, they have been a perennial postseason playoff team going to the, uh, the finals once and the semifinals uh, you know, on, on two different occasions here. And this is, this is such a, a great franchise to be part of. How yeah. good does it feel for you to be in the position that you're in right now as well? I just feel so fortunate and blessed that uh, Mark Davis and Larry Delson uh, got on a plane and flew to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And um, and that's a day that has forever changed my life. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to lead this franchise. And it starts with the people. You You hit it right on the head. It's about the people in this organization. It's about the belief that Mark Davis has in, in empowering and uplifting um, women and women in sports and this league as a whole. Um, Becky Hammond is the highest paid women's basketball coach in the WNBA. She is one of the best coaches in the country. And so recognizing that you should be rewarded um, in that fashion. We recognize that here. We want to make sure that this franchise continues to respect those who have paved the way. So that's why our alumni initiative is huge. But more importantly, we want to get to a point where we can keep our players in market. We want them to be able to stay um, in the Las Vegas community and not feel as though financially, because there's a a strain there that I have to go overseas to make, um, to make a living. We have to, we have to get to that point where, because when we are here, they're so invested in the community we, we're, there's so much more work to be done within the Las Vegas community, but by utilizing their platform, we can change the lives of so many of the youth that are here, um, not only in the Las Vegas community, but all, across the country. We're looking to also make sure that where these young ladies come from, where they grew up, where they went to college, that we connect um, with that community, um, because women's basketball is, is, is a, a sport that has led the charge for women in sports, the women's basketball have. And you can date back to, to coaches um, that were fighting for better TV deals, coaches that were fighting for um, equitable pay, for, for equitable resources. And, and, and that's what we want to make sure that we continue to strive for here is that these women in the W have the best because, again, I'm going to say this, we're winning gold medals. We're representing our country. We've got, on, especially on our roster, you know, <laughs> three on three. we got Kelsey um, Plum. we got Jackie Young. And then 
you know, that Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray. I mean, these women are the best in the world, and it would be great to, for, for our communities around the country to be able to see them year-round. Right. And just to hit on your point there, Nikki, it's it's great to see so many of them that are not playing overseas right now that can be compensated now with, with some larger contracts and other things, and then just get the well-deserved rest you know, for their bodies. And it was great seeing Asia. I saw Asia and her mom and dad and, and spent some time with them at the UNLV game last week. And we've seen them mm-hmm. at Raider games, where, you know, of course, mm-hmm. where, the, where the Raiders are you know, honoring uh, you know, the Aces, whether the Olympians or just the, the regular team, it's great uh, to see them not having to, to, to go through, you know, some of them still are, are, are playing overseas, but it, it's, it's nice to, to see them in the community year-round. So that's, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, before we let you go, real quick, I know you're a little bit excited about a game coming up on Sunday night, aren't you? <laughs> Playoff, let's go. <laughs> Raiders Chargers, yes. baby, here we go. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I'm so excited for the Raiders. And I will say this, it's 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 an unbelievable relationship that Mark has created between the Raiders and the Aces. So when we're in the playoffs, we have like 20-plus Raiders you know, at the game and, and just to have their presence there. Um, we've done joint alumni uh, uh, autograph sessions together. And Aces Nation, Raiders Nation, it's going to be a great day for us when we get this win on Sunday. <laughs> All right. There, you got a final score prediction, Nikki? We're going to write it down right now. Let's go. What uh, do you let's got? Say, let's go. Uh, I'm going to go 28 28- uh, 14. Oh, there it is. All right. You know, Nikki, that is the exact same score the last time these two teams played, except it was the other way around. You do realize that, don't you? That was I, did, I know. I didn't know. I did not. Yeah. So now, week okay, three. Well, we're flipping. We're flipping. There we go. That's nice. That's a very, that sounds like, like a convincing victory, too. And then get ready for the playoffs. Okay. That'd be nice. Yeah. All right. That would be great. Hey, always great talking with you. Great seeing you. I appreciate you taking the time today. And I know we'll talk very, very soon. All right, take care. There, there she is, Nikki Vargas, the president of the Las Vegas Aces. And, of course, you know she's got those Raider ties, uh, of course. You know, her husband, Justin Fargus, former Raider running back. And uh, there, there are those ties there. And uh, it's great. And, you know, like I said, being involved, you know, with this organization. And, and just like, you know, Nikki said, you know, being able to see what Mark Davis has done in combining both franchises, the dual support. And when Mark Davis says he, he, he wants equality and he wants to do what, uh, you know, what he thinks is best for the women of the WNBA, especially these Las Vegas Aces, he does it. And again, building the brand new facility, which will be state of the art for the Aces to, uh, to have their offices and their practice facility there, you know, right down the street from uh, the current Raiders facility there in Henderson. That's coming. Um, and everything else that he's done with bringing back the alumni. It's just, it's fantastic. It's great. It, it really is. What, the way Mark Davis treats the Aces, the same way that he treats the Raiders franchise. It's, it's fantastic and, and great to be part of. All right, when we come back, we start talking about the college football national championship game. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. It's Monday night. Trevor Maddich joins us next. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. Monday night, the college football season comes to a crescendo. Crescendo. Man, I can't even say it right. 
Maybe because I'm so excited about hearing a little cool in the gang and misled right now. And our next guest, because I know how he feels about this song, the one and only Trevor Maddich. What's going on, buddy? PC Martin. <laughs> Let's hope we're not misled about this game. This is this is the collision of planets that we were hoping for at the beginning of the season. I know, Trevor. I hope. We get a great game. Are we going to see a great game Monday night? Because it's not always the case for the national championship game. Now, we always say we got the two best teams, and it usually ends up that way. But we usually don't get the best game, and it's kind of like that way sometimes the Super Bowls, too. I know people like to point that out. But uh, we need a top-notch college game Monday night, my friend. Yeah, as you see, and I think we'll get it. I think we'll get it in for two reasons. One is that these teams are so incredibly talented, but also because of what happened in the SEC championship game. I mean, Georgia, they're going to come out on fire, just like they did against Michigan, and I think they'll fix a lot of their mistakes. I think they'll play a, a, a completely different game than they played last time around against Alabama, and it'll be interesting to see how Alabama adjusts to Georgia's adjustments. Alabama has beaten Georgia 7 Straight times, Trevor. Now, this does go yep. back to 2008, but they faced each other, what, three times just in, in the last, what, two and a half uh, seasons. Why the domination by Nick Saban's Alabama team against Georgia? You know, really, if you look at, if you go all the way back to the to 2008, you know, it's, it's a matter of talent. But if you look at it from a standpoint of just like 2017, I think it is two things. I think it is, the uh, just being able to, to make one play, and it's also Nick Saban over Kirby Smart. I think go back to 17, I think that's the year that uh, the season that, that Georgia and Alabama played in the national championship game, and Tua, true freshman, um, had made a bonehead play in overtime to, to leave him um, you know, way behind the chains, and he ends up throwing that dime to true freshman Devontae Smith, who went on to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, a receiver to snatch defeat out of the jaws of Georgia's victory. And, or excuse me, snatch victory out of Georgia's jaws. Let's put it that way. And so that was one play. And really it was a low percentage play that Tua would have pulled that thing off as a true freshman, but they did it. And so that wasn't domination. That was, that was just they made one play. Then you've got the SEC championship game in 2018, uh, I believe, where Georgia was leading. Um, Late in the game, Tua got hurt. Jalen Hurts came off the bench and continued the drive that Tua started that ended up winning the game for Alabama. And there were a lot of plays in that drive that if Georgia would have made one play, that would have been it. But they didn't. So it wasn't domination. It was so close. Then when you look at the SEC championship game, that was domination. But it wasn't physical domination. It was more mental domination. And that's where I bring in Nick Saban. Because to me, the, the Georgia has the more talented roster top to bottom. Georgia has more depth top to bottom. But Alabama has two things. Alabama has the Heisman winning quarterback in Bryce Young, and they have Nick Saban. And one of the features of the SEC championship game was that Alabama's staff outcoached Georgia's staff. It seemed like whatever Georgia was trying to do, Alabama either knew it or they were able to respond to it very quickly. 
And so there were a lot of plays that Bama made in that first game that I don't think they'll be able to make this second game because I think Georgia is going to make some adjustments on that stuff. Yeah, 41-24, the final score in the SEC championship game going back 37 days ago. And then uh, the same score, 41-24 in Tuscaloosa in a regular season game uh, that they played uh, back in 2020. So we'll see what happens uh, here Monday night. But again, you know, two fantastic teams. And I think you're under the mindset, just like I am, Trevor, we do have the two best teams facing off against each other on Monday night, don't we? Yeah, we really do. And I think we sh- we saw that in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sort of happens a lot in the semifinals where right. since the inception of the playoff, the average margin of victory in the semis is 21 points. So typically the semis are, are a blowout. It's kind of rare for them to be a close game. Um, and so these teams proved Alabama and Georgia that they were clearly better than the other two teams in the top tier. So, yeah, these are the best two teams. All right, Trevor, let me throw this at you. Now, this is my theory here. When a team won the previous game, like Alabama does in this situation, it, it usually will come back in the rematch with the same game plan because it worked the first time while the losing team knows it needs to make adjustments and they actually work on that relentlessly during their practice time leading up to that. Is that a pretty accurate uh, state uh, assessment? It often is, although I think in this case, uh, I don't think it will be. I think that Nick Saban, knowing Kirby Smart as well as he does, because uh, Coach Smart was defensive coordinator for Saban for a long time, I think, I think Saban will understand that they will make those adjustments and he'll anticipate what some of those adjustments are. So that's part of the fun of the chess match going on in the coaches' offices. But here's just one example um, of Saban knowing what Kirby's team was going to do. Alabama had the ball in the SEC championship game. They wanted to throw a bubble screen to the right. Alabama had three receivers to the right, one to catch the ball and two to block. Georgia put three defenders out there, so they had the blockers outnumbered by one. But Alabama still threw that that bubble screen and still gained about eight yards. Here's how they did it. Uh, Pre-snap, they took the receiver that was going to catch the ball, and that was Jamison Williams, and they motioned him all the way to the left side of the formation. That drew the third defender out there, linebacker N'Kobe Dean, back into the middle of the defense. Now, against that formation, his trigger was to fire and blitz right up the middle. So he did at the snap, and Kobe Dean fired right up the middle. Now he's caught in traffic, can't do anything about a bubble screen. After the snap, when Dean fired in the middle, Jamison Williams, who now was on the left after the pre-snap motion, came all the way back across the field to go back to the right, and he caught the bubble screen anyway on the right side. And so the two blockers now only had two defenders to face. And in doing that, what Saban's team did was understand what Georgia's defense would do against that particular formation, how they would respond when they ran the motion, and then why that bubble screen would still be open when they brought Jamison Williams back across to the right. Saban knew what Kirby Smart and his guys would do. And so Kirby Smart and his guys, Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, uh, and, uh, and then the defensive brain trust, will have to understand that whatever they think They've got the edge on in the first game is something that Saban is going to be all over, and they'll make adjustments to that. And Saban will be ready for those adjustments. So I'm just really interested to see 
how this goes back and forth relative to what the coaches try to do to, to one-up each other in terms of uh, play calling. You know, I know how closely you really look at these matchups at all aspects and, and all angles. I'm curious, in your opinion here, what is the most important matchup? What's the key matchup in this game for Monday night? The most important matchup is going to be the second and third tight ends of Georgia against the Alabama linebackers and safeties. Brock Bowers is their number one tight end. He is basically unstoppable uh, by Alabama or anybody else. But if you've only got one guy, you can limit him because you can surround him and, and limit yards after the catch. And so what I expect is that they'll throw the ball more to John Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington. Both of those guys are six seven over 250 pounds, but each one of them only had one catch in the SEC championship game. Bowers had 10 catches, and so they underutilized those two secondary tight ends. Now, they've got them both on the field a lot to block, but I think now when you've got your best cover safeties and linebackers on Bowers, who's going to cover two six seven guys who can also run and catch? And so I think they'll have a lot more than two catches between them in this game. We know from a physical standpoint, I mean, both teams are phenomenal, but you look at Georgia. I mean, defensively, a mammoth defensive line. And not only that, these guys, they got speed. And we saw, uh, you know, how they run, da- uh, they ran down the Michigan running backs and the quarterback, you know, Cade McNamara in that game. And it looked like a total mismatch in that situation. But, I want to touch on the mental side of this because obviously there is a mental factor here, especially with Georgia where they know that, hey, Alabama's got our number. How much of this does Kirby Smart use uh, during this this week of preparation and motivation this week about the revenge factor? And we know that Kirby Smart is a former Alabama uh, Nick Saban assistant, like you said, but he's 0-4. We know he looks up to Saban and everything. I mean – how, how do you overcome the mental side of this if you're Kirby Smart and you're Georgia? Well, you just got to beat them. And I think the most important part of that revenge factor that you mentioned is what the coach won't say, what he can't say. He can't talk to his teams in terms of payback to Alabama. Uh, the, but the players are thinking that. Because the players, especially the seniors, don't want to move on with their lives knowing that they just lost to Alabama twice in three games, once for the SEC championship and once for the national championship. So that will focus them like a laser beam in their preparation. It did against Michigan because they wanted to get back and face Alabama. But I think from a mental standpoint, what Kirby Smart will do is focus his players on the, the mistakes that they made. You know, and, and there were a bunch of them. They, Georgia busted a bunch of coverages. They gave Bryce Young a bunch of easy throws that were big, important plays for Alabama in that game. They lost contain. Bryce Young scored a touchdown against Georgia in the SEC championship game where they Georgia's defense was running a three-man stunt. One of the guys didn't get the memo. He was the guy that was supposed to have contained left and loop outside to the left. He didn't go there. And so Young saw that there was nobody on contained to the left. He took off and ran about 20 yards for a touchdown. Those are the kinds of things mentally that Kirby Smart will focus on and focus his team on. He'll tell them to ignore all the rest of it. Ignore what happened from an emotional standpoint against Alabama. Ignore the history. Ignore the pundits. He'll say, look at this play. If all we do is loop to the outside like we're supposed to, we contain that, and we sack that quarterback instead of him scoring a touchdown. If we cover everybody like we're supposed to, 
then they don't have a wide-open receiver running down the field. That's the mental part of it that Kirby will focus on. The rest of it will take care of itself. You know, to that point, I'll go back to what I, I said earlier. You know, when a team who won the previous game like Alabama, they usually come back with that same type of game plan because they know that it'll work. Will Saban do that? And on the other side, I mean, how how easy is it or difficult for Kirby Smart to make those adjustments since they did get shredded like that? And do you think Saban comes back with, okay, this works so well against them, or do we see Saban you know, change it up a little bit? I mean, for me, that's the interesting part of, of the, the chess match here between these two coaches. Well, Alabama's, um, they're going to have to change it up just because their second-leading receiver in terms of yards, John Mechie, won't play. Right. Uh, he has an ACL, so he won't play. And he actually is their leading receiver in terms of catches. He had uh, 96 catches. Jameson Williams only had 68. And Jameson Williams, this is now in the you know as of the SEC championship game. Jameson, because Mechie didn't play in the playoffs, of course, so we'll just take it as of then. But Mechie is a, a critical part, part of what Bryce Young is trying to do had more catches than anybody else on that Alabama team, and now he's gone. One guy that I think Alabama will game plan more, and this would be an adjustment for them, in this game is their tight end, Jaleel Billingsley. He came into this season expected to be one of the best receiving tight ends in the country, and he proceeded to drop everything thrown at him. So they kind of stopped throwing at him. right? He still played, threw at him a little bit, but not a whole lot. I think in this game, if he can get his, his, the butter off of his fingers, he'll be critical in replacing Mechie because – He'll have a matchup advantage in terms of size and speed um, against safeties and against linebackers. And so I think he'll be a big part of it, and that will be an adjustment by Saban. But again, the adjustment that Saban makes, to me, and he'll make them, to me the more interesting thing is what effect will that have on the game planning of Georgia because they have to anticipate that Saban will anticipate what they're going to do like he did in the first game, right? And so here's just an example if I'm Nick Saban. Um, Alabama's defense, when Georgia did things that worked, Alabama would see it the second time, and they jumped all over it. One of them was the pick six that Alabama had against Edson Bennett. There was a route combination where the, the inline tight end ran a short route right into the face of the short linebacker so he couldn't drop back into a passing lane for a deeper in cut. Right? So the first time they ran that, the safety was deep, and it was an easy completion for a first down. The next time they saw that exact same play, that exact same form, um, you know, route combination and everything else, the safety this time anticipated that the throw was coming. He jumped in front of the receiver on the in cut, intercepted it, and brought it back for a touchdown. So that was an incredibly aggressive response to a play that had worked earlier for Georgia. So if you're Georgia, what do you do? Well, if you're Georgia, you have a counter to that. You pump fake to that in cut, and you throw to a post behind that safety, assuming that he's going to be too aggressive. So if you're Nick Saban, what do you do? You make sure you take away that post because you've got to anticipate that they aren't going to throw the same, make the same mistake that led to a pick six. So these are all things that go back and forth. So those are the kinds of things I think Saban will be watching for and adjustments that he'll make in anticipation of the adjustments that Georgia will make. Great stuff. Trevor Maddich breaking it down, ESPN College Football. And again, uh, the, the, the beauty about this game, we, f- two, two teams that have tons of talent, but 
when you have a guy like Nick Saban, arguably the greatest you know college coach ever, uh, of those adjustments that he can make, and again, we've seen Alabama be reliant. Uh, heavy on the pass this year, and he changed that up, and he came out of the gates against Cincinnati. Boom! Just pounding the ball with Brian Robinson over and over and over again. Caught Cincinnati off guard. And again, just it just goes to everything that we're talking about here, how you just never know what you're going to get with Alabama. And then if they do you know, come up and, and, and get bitten, that Saban and his staff can make those quick adjustments. And to me, that is the, the most intriguing part uh, of this game uh, on, on Monday night. Trevor, I want to talk with you about Stenson Bennett because he has great numbers, but he's still kind of not really that well-known and still a little bit under the radar, maybe for the casual football fan, and he doesn't really seem to overly impress. And we know middle of the season, early of the season, there was the talk you know, about him being benched, and especially JT Daniels, who transferred from SC, and he's there, how come JT Daniels doesn't get a chance to play? We know Bennett was a walk-on, but again, he's performed very, very well against lesser teams, but didn't perform that well against Alabama. Uh, Give me some thoughts about Stetson Bennett, and what is he going to look like on Monday night? Well, I think... He'll he'll try to not make the big play when it's not there when he doesn't have to. That pick six happened, I think, on it was first or second down. I think it might have been second down. There was no need for him to uh, to throw that ball when that safety was coming up, right? And and he could have seen that and could have anticipated it. And I think he will this time as well. He'll try to protect the ball. That was one of his two interceptions in the SEC championship game. But other than that, I think Bennett doesn't really need to change a whole lot. He gets a lot of grief. Because people say, well, he's a game manager, not a playmaker. Well, wait a minute now. He is ahead of Bryce Young on passer rating, total quarterback rating, and yards per pass attempt. Ahead of Bryce Young in all of those. You know, in, in passer rating, he is fourth in the nation. Young is fifth. In QBR, he's second in the nation. Uh, in the uh, yards per attempt, Stetson Bennett is second in the nation. So he gets the ball down the field. And he's not even using those two tight ends that we talked about as much as he really should. So I think that he is better than you think. Now, people will say, okay, well, that's against lesser defenses. How do you do against Alabama? Clearly badly because he threw two picks and, and they lost the game. Well, not necessarily because they couldn't run the ball very well against Alabama. Their two feature backs were under four yards of carry, both of them. And Stetson Bennett, even with the two interceptions, even with the pick six, his quarterback rating was 77. Now keep this in mind that quarterback rating doesn't just rate you when you throw. It also rates when you run, your decision-making, turnovers, what you do on third down as opposed to first down. It's it's an overall rating of a quarterback. 100 is perfect, 50 is average. Bennett against Alabama in the SEC Championship was 77. Still a winning performance by him when you factor in the mistakes that he made. The problem was that Bryce Young on the other side was 98 out of 100, right? right? And so um, so Stetson Bennett, I expect him to, to have enough experience to realize that he doesn't need to elevate his game to win this. All he needs to do is literally manage the game, take the plays that are there, scramble out, and, and buy time when he needs to. He's good at that. Hit the guys that are open, check down when they're not, and then throw it away and punt if there's nothing there at all, because that, that is what he needs to do. As good as he's played, he's not the kind of guy, he's not 
you know, the, the amazing dynamic Justin Fields kind of quarterback that just makes awesome plays that overpower you physically because he's so powerful. He's not powerful. He's quick, he's shifty, and he's very, very smart. Uh, and right. so very, very smart means understand when the defense won this play and just survived a punt. Vegas has made Georgia a three-point favorite, the team that has not beaten Alabama uh, since 2008, Trevor. Uh, who would you make the favorite in this game? You know, I, I uh, I'll, I'll probably tell you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, okay. But but I, I was leaning Alabama early in the week, and then I went back and studied that championship game a second time and saw how many plays the Georgia defense just gifted to Alabama, and I thought, well, Georgia can fix those fixable things and make this a completely different game. Then I leaned Georgia. So I'll make a final decision for you tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good, my friend. And how many more times are you going to rewatch that game and, and keep breaking it down over the next uh, you know 48 hours or so? No, I got it done. I got it done. We have four <laughs> breakdowns off of that game for Sports Center. So I don't want to watch it again as long as I live. I'm done with that one. There you go, man. All right. Appreciate it. Best bowl game you watched real quick over the New Year's Day. Tennessee Purdue Music City Bowl back and forth and back and forth and a controversial call at the end. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, you you just like because it, it was in it was in Nashville. It was your hometown. Yes, it, there it is. Everybody loves Nashville. You got that right. All right, we brother. Call it Nash Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, we will talk to you tomorrow. We look forward to your best bets, uh, Trevor. You can in the championship game. I'm gonna tell you right now. You could select the side, the total, or the prop. You can you could find a nice little prop bet for us. That could be your best bet as well, too, okay? So over, under, certain yardage, that kind of stuff. So you, you can do your homework. Can I make my prop bet that Georgia Georgia defensive lineman Jordan Davis will weigh in over 300 pounds? <laughs> no, I think that's off the board because that's an automatic, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Take care, my man. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, DC. There he is, Trevor Maddich, ESPN, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, breaking it down like nobody else can. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, he joins us on the other side of the break. Scott Spritzer, we start handicapping week 18 of the NFL. T.C. Martin Show on a thunderous Thursday. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. There you go. This game is going on. He's feeling it, and you can see he's rising to the occasion. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, awesome baby with a cap of the line. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two on this Thursday. Glad to have you with us. Uh, hour number one. Boom, boom, boom. Appreciate Trevor Manich, Nikki Vargas for joining us. Yes, we get ready for this weekend, Sunday night football, the finale, the season finale, and it means everything for the Raiders and the Chargers. NBC has the coverage, 520, and uh, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about regarding that. And also, Scott Spritzer will join us this hour as we handicap week number 18 of the NFL. So, look forward to that. So, uh, give me some breaking news. Give me some breaking news here, if you want, regarding the Raiders. You want a little teaser, Numbchuck? You know? All right. So, Sunday Night Football, as we know, Raiders and the Chargers. Winner is in. Loser is out. 
And the Raiders, as we know, our good friend Mark Davis, all in. They are going to have all kinds of great stuff happening at Allegiant Stadium Sunday night. They're going to salute John Madden, do a great tribute for John Madden, and it's not just going to be on the video board, the scoreboard, on the field. It's going to be outside the stadium earlier on and even inside the stadium during the game. The Madden Cruiser is coming from Canton, Ohio, and will be in front of Allegiant Stadium on Sunday night. That's right. The Madden Cruiser, part of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There it is. We've got that. The bus, John Madden's bus from Canton, Ohio, be transported here as well. Fans will get a chance to actually go in and tour the Madden Cruiser as well. And, uh, yeah, the original Madden Cruiser will be on display in front of Allegiant Stadium. So you talk about the Raiders and Mark Davis pulling out all the stops for this game. John Madden passed away on December 28th, as you know. Uh, the NFL and all of the networks, because John Madden worked for all of the networks, all four major networks, CBS, Fox, ABC, NBC. So NBC will have the game. I'm sure they will have uh, plenty of tributes, of course, you know, going on during the game as well, too. So it's going to be a John Madden fest coming up on Sunday night. So if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what is. And we know that there have been... A lot of Raider fans have not been able to go to the games this year. Either they've elected not to go because of the COVID restrictions or if you're not vaccinated because you have to be vaccinated. The Raiders are just like this game, like every game. They'll give you the opportunity at two different locations, right there at Allegiant Stadium, to get your COVID shot, get vaccinated, so you can go in. But hopefully uh, there'll be plenty of silver and black. Uh, The place will be filled, won't be empty seats. And remember... This will be actually the last home game, more than likely, for the Raiders this year. Because if they win and they get in, they're going to have the seven seats. So they're not going to have uh, an opportunity to play a home playoff game. So this is it. Last game of the regular season. Come on out there and uh, and support. So there you have it. All right, looking forward uh, to that. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, joins us Uh and, of course, we always talk NBA. We're going to do that with Big Bill. But, of course, he's a, he's a man of all sports. And I know he's got his eyes on the Sunday night game, Raiders-Chargers. He'll be watching his Cowboys on Saturday as well, too. What's going on, 7-footer? I'm just curious if you're going to go down to that event and get on the John Madden bus. I'm just curious about that. Would you be interested in just getting on the bus and, and, and looking around? I might be. I, I, you know, again, I, I thought about it, but then, you know, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of fans. I'm sure, you know, people are going to, there's going to be a long line to get in. You know, I don't have really the patience for that. And I don't know if they're going to do maybe a media um, thing before that. They may do that. If they do that, I, I might, I might do that. But there's a little, uh, a little curiosity there to see the Madden Cruiser up close and personal, go inside, you know, sit in the same seat where, where Big John was and everything else in there, you know. And again, I've seen plenty of video, you know, from that as uh, as well. But uh, yeah, for me, there, there's a little intrigue. What about you? You interested? Well, 
You know, probably not. But I was just curious. I mean, maybe a Freddy's hot dog if they had something like that. Well, wait a minute. Now, now it's a, now it's a different ball game. I mean, it's different. If you're serving, <laughs> if you're serving Freddy's hot dogs, uh, the Chicago dog, there's no. There's no part uh, that I'm, I'm going to want to miss about that. But I, I tell you what I am curious about is that do they still have the Outback logo on the Madden Cruiser? Because if you remember, the Outback logo was on there because John Madden loved eating an Outback there in Florida. That's where it all started for him. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. That's, that's a good spot. Yeah. So I, I can see if there was some food on there. Now, that could intrigue you. Yeah. Get on that bus. Now, now, for me, I've actually owned a coach for for about three years. And what, what I found out was is that it, it had a beautiful coach. Uh, you know, it was a double slide. It was it was everything. And, you know, my family and I, we took some trips in it. And, and I kind of found out that, you, you know, for me, I only really drive this thing three months out of the year. And there's just really no reason to to, to have this thing. <laughs> so uh, even though it was great, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, and what a, what a sales job to have somebody buy these huge coaches. Uh, most of these people are like seventy and older, so now you got seventy year old driving this house <laughs> a wheel that's seventy five miles an hour, which man, makes great sense. And plus, you're getting about what ten, eight to ten miles in a gallon. Uh, yeah, what a great salesman! What a great sales job! Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, you're, you're right. It's just really incredible. But uh, those coaches are beautiful. They uh, they're really comfortable. They have everything in there. They got huge TVs. Uh, you can have barbecue in there. You can have outdoor TVs. You can have satellite. Uh, it's, it's, it's really remarkable, but, but it is a traveling house. So, uh, uh, even though I like it, uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, uh, how about, how about, how about the, the big cruiser that we saw, the big coach in the blues brothers, the good old boys, remember the good old boys, they were rolling around there. I mean, uh, coming to play, and Jake and Elwood said, oh, no, 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 you know, we're, we're taking over for these guys. And then, you know, Elwood uh, took the glue, if you remember, and uh, put the pedal to the metal. And here, here the good old boys are driving that big old coach by Charles Napier, a great actor, if you remember him. There he is, right there. Uh, coming down the good old boys, flying down into the city of Chicago, crashing. You remember that, my friend? I do. I do remember that. <laughs> that was an older coach. Yeah. Uh, even though, uh, well, it was 1980, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was nice. It was a nice coach, and uh, yeah, it probably deserved to. There's a glue right there, yeah. yeah. That's, that's right. That, 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 that coach ended up in the lake, and that's <laughs> where, where it belonged. Oh, too funny. Bill Cartwright in the, what did you call it? Did you call it the Cartwright Cruiser, the Cartwright Coach? What did you call it? That's true. I, I just call it the Cartwright Gas Guzzler. <laughs> yeah, six miles to a gallon, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I'm telling you, somehow when you're in that mindset, you, you can kind of justify it. And uh, even though everybody knows when you're on vacation, you know, you want to stay in a small area and everybody wants to cook on vacation. So, once again, it's a great sales job. 
by these uh, people who sell the coaches. Oh, yeah, because they're not uh, cheap. We know that. Yeah, somebody's getting a nice little commission there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's really remarkable. But but you, what is remarkable is that there's these whole communities that actually live in those coaches like half the year. Yeah. So they'll, they'll they'll take off, and you have these uh, coach communities, uh, and they're like I said, they're older folks, and they'll just take off uh, and just hang out. So, so it is interesting. So, uh, Numchuk was asking me before you came on today. He said, "Hey, is is Bill in? Uh, is he in Chicago uh, today? We will get a Froggies update." I said, "No, he's in Sacramento." So, Numchuk yeah. asked a question. And I think it's a pretty good question. He says, "How come there's not a Froggies in Sacramento?" And you know, I I would endorse that. What's going on there? Give us the answer. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> No, look, Froggies is like anything else that's extraordinarily special. Uh, there could only be one. So there's one Froggies. Uh, no franchise? I mean, you don't want to share no Froggies franchise. with the people in Northern California or the people in Vegas or San Francisco? Uh, think about that. If we put the word out that the big seven-footer in his hometown of Sacramento, and we can even put in El Grove if you like, all right? I that that's a big business boom for you, my friend. And you've got the model already down, very successful there outside of Chicago. Why not let Northern California experience what the people in Illinois get to experience? Because that, that community is very special. Uh, they've been going to parties for the last 40 years. Wait, uh-huh. as Rob Gronkowski says, we're special too. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that every community has its own unique restaurants that represent that area, okay. and we're just very fortunate to have Froggy. Oh, okay, so okay, and, so and I, I, I get you, so. I get you. Okay, so let's fast forward there. If, if the big seven footer uh, put a restaurant in in Sa- Sacramento, what would it be? Uh, it's going to be something like you know what I really like. I love pizza, uh, and. I love stuff like uh, barbecue and wings, as you do. Yep. So we're so we're very similar. So they they would be more bite type of stuff, and you know that's that that's what I think Sacramento really represents. Uh, we're, we're we're pizza places where uh, we have some great restaurants, but uh, Sacramento is a, really a blue collar town, and I think that's. That's what it's got to represent. There could be some steak places here, but uh, you could have some pasta, uh, definitely some, uh, some some Mexican, um, some Asian. But it's but it's really a bite town. It's burgers. It's yeah, you're right. So ribs. I think you need to get on that. Yeah. All right, there you go. We need to get on that together. There it is. That, that sounds like you need to move another uh, Freddy's out here, man. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> no, they're really happy. Yeah, absolutely. There it is. Well, if I could get, if I could get, uh, you know, Freddy's there, that'd be good. In uh, a Jim Boys or a Dos Coyotes here in Vegas, then I'd be set, perfectly set. I'd probably never have to travel again. I'd be perfectly set. Let's be honest. I mean, I, the main reason I go to Sacramento is for Luigi's, my favorite pizza joint, as you talk about. I've been there since 1951. And then I uh, got the Dos Coyotes and the Gym Boys, right? So let's go. Let's get a, get a crack in there, Mr. Restaurateur. Yeah, yeah. We, we see, see but the, the problem is with that is that you're looking to maintain your food status 
And as I get older and slower, I'm looking to slow mine down. I'm not asking you to eat. I'm just asking you to just uh, uh, get the construction going. Let's go. You know, that's it. You know, get the, you know, foot the bill, get the construction going, put your name on it. Uh, there it is. And, and I'll worry about the eating. You worry about just uh, you wow. know, cashing, cashing in the money there. You do that. How's that? Wow. Well, I, I like to catch it up with the money, of but course. I would like to. Uh, I, I would like to have some, some food. But, well, you uh, can, but you know, like I said, we got to put you on a diet. You know, like I said, you just yeah. said yourself that you know you you can't you can't keep up with me. You know, you can't keep up. Plain no, and simple. Nobody can. Nobody can. <laughs> you should be a Guinness World Record. Nobody can be like you. Jesus. Well, it, it should be like they should have bo- like, like a boxing divisions. Okay, so in my in my weight category. I mean, I'm, I'm the world champion. There's no doubt. But I don't know if I can compete with the guys that are, you know, 300 pl- pounds plus. You know, I don't know what they can put away. But, yeah, for, for me, you know, in the, you know, the, the, the middleweight or, you know, light heavyweight division, more, more, more middleweight, super middleweight division, yeah, I, I'd go undefeated. I'd be like Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, yeah, you do, and and the thing is, is that you do eat great food, so I, I will give you credit for that. There you go, my friend. There, I, and I try to share that with uh, with my friends like yourself, no doubt. All right, man, let's talk some basketball here. Uh, I think I asked you about the Raiders and Chargers, and you skewed over to uh, you and the coach bus. Asked you about the Cowboys. You want to touch on? Give me the winner: Raiders, Chargers, Sunday night, last playoff spot. Give me that one. Well, I'm, I'm going to take the Raiders because it's some odd reason, even though they're not in California anymore. I still have an attraction for the Raiders. They've been playing well. Um, they've had controversy all year. And seemingly when there's big games, they usually play well. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Raiders. All right. Uh, Cowboys-Eagles. Your Cowboys, I mean, they don't really need to win, but they they need to win so they don't they don't drop any further here. Well, well, the Cowboys have already beaten the Eagles, yep. so um, you got to go Cowboys. And you know they lost uh, a funky game last week. Uh, you know the Cardinals really needed that game; they were kind of reeling. So um, I think there was just more of a need for them to win. Uh, and this week, you know, the Cowboys have got to get off the snide. They, they had nobody likes losing. Definitely not two in a row. So you got to go, you got to go, Cowboys. And the Cowboys should win. Cowboys are better than the Eagles. You think so? Yeah, and plus, Eagles, uh, uh, the Eagles uh, can't improve their position. They've got uh, many, many COVID issues as, as well, too. So uh, that game on Saturday, and of course, Raiders Chargers Sunday night at uh, five twenty here at Allegiant Stadium. All right, man, let's talk some NBA here. Uh, Kyrie Irving played his first game of the season last night, scored twenty two points. They beat the Indiana Pacers. Uh, hadn't played a game. Uh, this year, because of the you know New York vaccine mandate, he's only playing in road games. Steve Nash uh, said before the game yesterday, he goes, he wasn't sure uh, if he would start, but he goes, I think he could play a big chunk of the game, and, and he did. Played pretty well. I know you watched uh, a good part of that game last night. Uh, here's my question re- regarding this, Bill. How can... A coach like Steve Nash, who's still you know a young coach here, very inexperienced, how is he going to manage a personality like Kyrie Irving and then having to navigate this season with a part-time player? I mean, you got Harden and you got Durant, you got big personalities there. Add another one in with Uncle Drew there and Kyrie Irving, but 
you know you don't have him each and every game. This guy's going to be, I mean, he's going to be like that that house guest. I'm not sure that you want or not. I mean, he's going to pop in. He's going to pop out. And how 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 is this going to work? Is it going to work? Well, you know, I think he said after the game, he, he felt like he was rusty. He felt like he was out of balance. And, um, you know, for me, uh, I, I think it's going to be really hard. It's hard to play well and keep balance and keep flow, even when the teams are there and they're uh, playing together all the time, let alone to have him be a part-time player. Um, I am not a big fan of, of this, obviously, and I don't think you are either, just because I am a big believer that uh, everybody has to play by the same rules unless, uh, like some guys have, they have a doctor's exempt uh, that they, you know, just can't, just can't take, uh, take medicine. So um, I'm just not a big fan of, of what's happening right now. And, and Steve, I'm sure he, with the help of the other coaches and the GM, that are going to guide their way through this process. So, um, you know, the bottom line is that they still want to win. The bottom line is that, you know, the guy is a, a really, really all-star play, player. Right? He's a great player. Uh, so they're going to let him play. So uh, it's a little contradictory. I'm sure there's parts of it uh, he doesn't like, nobody likes, but uh, but the bottom line is that they like winning more than anything else. So um, I'm, I'm sure if you were, if I was his teammate, I wouldn't be too thrilled either because, like I said, I think it's, it's really important that everybody abides by the same rules. Uh, that's the only thing more than anything really bothers me. Right, right. Uh, it, it's but, not like this This team really needs him as well, too. I, I get it. He's a great player. And the, the, they're better, I guess, on you know when he's on the floor. But still, without him... They they were twenty three and twelve. So you know, look at this team now. They got a twenty four and twelve record. I'm just I'm you know I'm not sure that you need a guy like you said that's not all in. And clearly he is not all in. And they were playing well enough without him anyway. Well, you you remember and you saw Last Dance when uh, we had Dennis, and then Dennis decided that he needed a break to go to Vegas. And he was basically, you know, allowed to do it. So uh, maybe they feel at this point in time that their team is good enough and their existing players are solid enough to just absorb um, this this silliness that's going on. So uh, maybe that's the case. And you just got to go by that. So, uh, I mean, should we be judging this? I don't know. How important is it? Um, that uh, that we're worried about uh, one guy uh, uh, not not wanting to play um, or not wanting to to uh, abide by the rules like everybody else. I don't know how important it is. So I do know this is that the winning <laughs> the winning for sure is more important. Yeah, definitely uh, for the Nets it is. And again, uh, yes. so. Sunday is the return of Clay Thompson. Uh, this guy's been out a long time. June thirteenth, twenty nineteen. That was the day. I mean, two years ago, more than two years ago. 
suffered that ACL and Achilles injury. Uh, Clay Thompson's been out for two and a half years. It was that NBA Finals game in Oakland when uh, the Warriors played Toronto. Uh, the guy has spent uh, so much time uh, rehabbing, the hard work, the isolation. Uh, you know, that's a part of it too. I don't think a lot of people realize. You know that he's he's been really isolated. You know, away from his teammates uh, and away from a lot of people. You know, and then uh, remember, we thought he was going to return last year, and then uh, he's getting ready to come back. He re-injures it uh, in practice. And then he's out for another year. So it's been a long road for, for Clay Thompson. I know you've had some injuries, but, I mean, really, I mean, nothing like this that uh, you have a dual injury that's kept him out for two years. Uh, I know that uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him get back on the floor. I know your boy Steve Curry is, uh, Steph Curry, and the Warriors are playing some great basketball. But But just talk a little bit about his story and how difficult a road that this is for him. Well, his road is really hard, obviously, just because of the fact that he was set to come back. And, and he got injured again. That set him back even more. Uh, psychologically, that's, uh, that's a real problem, you know. And I'm sure that he has a you know, solid family, a solid base, that he's able to overcome that. And, you know, the words are really embraced him as far as just being around them and being at practices, being at games, so they're so he's really apart. But it, it is really hard, and I think the interesting thing is going to be how confident is he when he comes back? How confident is he with that with that knee when he comes back to to be able to come in and make quick pivots and quick moves and take contact? And uh, he was a good defensive player to be able to be aggressive and be up. That's going to be the thing. So um, it's 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 going to be interesting. And, and the thing is that right now they need him. The Warriors need him right now because they've got their own guys with uh, with Curry and Graham got to break it down. Yeah. And this during the year, they 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 need somebody who's really solid and can make a shot, and uh, somebody can get you eighteen points in a quarter. So. Uh, it, 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 it'll be a good time if he's healthy. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, you know, it's still going to take him a good month or so to get in the rhythm of play, of everyday play, of everyday contact. Uh, it's going to take him a bit. So, I don't know, we'll see what happens. So, uh, psychologically, and you just, you hit the, you hit it right there when you're talking about, you know, playing with this thing and again being off for two years as an athlete as a basketball player when you coming back off such a serious injury like this i mean are you wired that way where okay i've got to be careful or i mean how can you possibly just shut this out altogether and not be extra careful and have this go in the back of your mind especially like with clay thompson because when he was ready to come back boom here we go again I just, I just can't uh, imagine, you know, how this cannot affect you mentally. Well, it's got to, and it's going to be up for, you know, for for the docs to watch him. Uh, I'm sure they deem him healthy, ready to play, strong. His leg is strong, and then now, what are his minutes going to be? To be able to watch his minutes, I'm sure he's going to want to play longer than he's, he's going to play. 
And and why not just bring it back slowly? Bring it back slowly, bring it back gradually, let him work his way in, continue to monitor him. Uh, because it is going to be a process. He's not going to be able to come in and play 35 minutes. Um, you know, he should come in and play a good 20 minutes at best, 15, 20 minutes, check himself out, constantly be monitored by the trainer, which I'm sure uh, they will, and uh, everything will be fine. The, the, but the good thing in all this is that, you know, just like, is that the guy had a great contract. So think about that. No, oh, yeah. It's two years to play, but his contract is pretty darn good. I'm, yeah. not, I'm sure you'll take that, and I know I'll take it. <laughs> you know, he said, you're talking about the isolation time. He said he loved being on the water, you know, the ocean and the harbor. Uh, that just, you know, it, it was great for him, you know, mentally. Got to spend so much time there to kind of clear his head and, and get refocused and everything. Uh, what was your easy place? You know, when you were going through some stuff like that, uh, you know, what, what's Cartwright's easy place? Where's he go? Where's he hang? C- cigar shop? Uh, no. That's back when I was playing. Like I said, but I, didn't, uh, I didn't drink or smoke cigars not right. back then. Right. But... Uh, for me, the easier place was probably, uh, you know, I spent so much time at the gym, but it was it was just more about being with my friends, you know, my buddy Terry, hanging with them. We were playing a lot of golf and played a lot of tennis. Um, finding great places to take a vacation. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun, being able to go, uh, go to Hawaii. And a typical day was golf. In the morning, tennis in the afternoon. You take a little nap, and then now maybe uh, maybe it's dinner time. Now that's a great day, my friend. There it is, man. Maybe a little 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 scotch and uh, cigars though in the nighttime. Maybe maybe that's it too. Yeah, no. Back when I'm playing, maybe a beer. There you go. Because right. remember, I, was, you know, I was pretty much a lightweight when I was. Uh, no problem. When I was a player, no, no, no drinking and smoking for yeah, me. Well, even though, uh, even though if you watch the last dance, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Play a lot of cards, gamble, and smoke cigars right. and, and drink gamble, scotch. That's it. Stay up to two in the morning and then yeah. buy some yeah. bad pizza. There you I go. Yeah, yeah, have some bad pizza. There you go. In, in Salt Lake City. <laughs> All right, man. We'll let you go. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy your football this weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, brother. All right, guys. Save some, save some little hot dogs for me. Yeah. Polish. He, he, do, he does like the Polish, no doubt. Two Polish. That's it. Get your red hots here. Red hots. All right. Scott Spritzer joins us as we come back as we talk NFL Week 18. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane. I say thank you very much. The doctor is now All right, tomorrow Friday, come on out, enjoy the show live. As you know, each and every Friday, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, 2 to 4 p.m., our best bet segment, and a whole lot more. Be handicapping our three best NFL games, as well as the National Championship Contest. We'll be giving you either the side, the total, or a prop bet as well, too. All right, so be prepared, and maybe we'll get a little teaser from our next guest who's been all over it all season long, of course, like he always is. 
Scott Spritzer. What's going on, my friend? How you doing, TC? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, very busy, as you know. We've got uh, just a plethora of things to talk about, and now I, we want to zone in on Week 18 in the NFL with YOU, my friend. So uh, how's it going with you? I'm doing all right, man. I'm just, you know, just kind of monitoring all the potential situations that could take place this weekend, who's healthy and who's not. And, you know, in the NBA, it's crazy, but in football, it's not quite too bad. We kind of find out guys that might be missing for games a couple days in advance more often than not. You know, when the NFL decided to go to this, you know, 17-week schedule and then we were into week 18 now, they said, okay, we're going to have every one of these games be a divisional contest. And I think there was a lot of intrigue with that. Do you think this has lived up to it? Because I mean, when we're looking at the schedule, I mean, we're saying, wow, there's really not a lot of intriguing games. There's maybe maybe two or three intriguing games just from a, a relative standpoint of you know playoff implications and seedings. And as we know, we only have one that with a true to win and get in, and that's going to be the one here at Allegiant Stadium Sunday night, the Raiders and the Chargers. But from a handicapping standpoint, Scott, uh, how difficult is this final week for you? You know, it's it's you know three three teams have clinched in each conference. Three teams in the AFC, three teams in the NFC. You know, I don't care if it's. I mean, for betting purposes, for a potential of making money, I wish there were twenty eight weeks. You know, yeah. as far as a fan and it being interesting, if you're not you know betting on it, then you know I don't know. I don't think it's any different between playing sixteen games and playing seventeen games. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it is a little bit different the final week. I mean, if you look at you know, when we had 16 games, now 17, but when we had 16 games, and I don't expect this to be too different just because you increase the season by a game, but double-digit favorites have been money uh, for many, many years now, for a decade. They're 62% against the spread in the final week of the season. They've lost two of 35 games. So let me just start by saying when you're looking to play money lines in the final week of the season, stay away from the double-digit underdogs as far as trying to find that hero game to bust out and get a big money line and you cash that ticket. They've won two of the last 35 over the past decade. So, you know, for me, it's one of those things where I just kind of look at teams that might have an incentive to cover those double-digit spreads in the NFL. And, and, you know, if I can't find any, then I do my normal handicapping mixed in with a little bit of who's got to win, who it doesn't matter to, those kind of things, and go from there. But, you know, I mean, you got – uh, a few situations, you know, this week that have double-digit lines. Kansas City over Denver on Saturday afternoon, you know, is one of those games. I think KC gets the job done. You've got the Colts laying 15-and-a-half on Sunday to the Jaguars. The Bills are laying 16 to the Jets. So there are plenty of opportunities this week, of which I think TC is – it probably points to Kansas City as being the best chance to cover a double-digit spread. That line – did go up from 10 to 11 and a half in some spots this afternoon. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at that now. Mostly 11 and a half uh, everywhere with that game on Saturday afternoon, you know, in Denver. And then you, you mentioned the other ones. You look at Buffalo against the Jets. I mean, that line is, is 16. And we know that people, you know, don't, don't like to lay, you know, 14, 15, 16, anything more than two touchdowns in an NFL game. But, you know, like you said, Scott, there, there's a reason for this. And you go back to the Jets last week. And I know some people will say, well, hey, the Jets played the Bucks tough. They are up by 14. I mean, easy cover there for the Jets last week. But, I mean, how much of that loss 
uh, it really took the wind out of their sails for this week for them to go on the road to play a Buffalo team that you know really needs this victory and then would like to put some style points uh, on the board as well too to get ready for the postseason. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be looking to win to wrap up the AFC East. You know, that's what they're going to be trying to do here, Buffalo. So they have something to play for. Uh, and the Jets, as you mentioned, played their tails off last week and, and you know, couldn't hold on to that game against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has you know, been a little sluggish the last couple of games. So, yeah, I mean, you factor that into the mix. You look at a team like Jacksonville, you know, can they cover 15, 15 and a half? against the Colts, and you start to look, okay, what do the Colts have to do, a team like that, to be able to get what they want. They can uh, clinch a playoff berth with a win or a tie. Uh, But the bottom line is is they're going to be playing for something. And the Jaguars, you've got to wonder, how much does this team even care anymore? I mean, they've got rid of Urban Meyer, which maybe I agree with, but at the same time, they haven't shown any boost or spark from that firing. They've played poorly ever since. And so it's a situation where you just got to try to find teams that, you know, you think can obviously make that next step as far as laying all those big points on the way to mattering. And, and you know, Kansas City is a team that's already wrapped up their division title, for instance. But, you know, they're, they're in a situation where they're going up against a Denver team that doesn't have a true starting NFL quarterback. We saw, you know, Denver last week, TC, uh, we, when we saw their opponent, the Chargers, really mixing things up on the uh, defensive line where they had Thomas moving back and forth and they really mixed up the blocking schemes that Denver was going to have to provide their quarterback during the countdown of the, of the play clock. You know, it was all of a sudden they're having to mix up their coverages. They're having to change things all built in by what the defensive line was doing. Kansas City's defensive line can do the same. And again, they're going up against a non-true starting quarterback as far as the NFL is concerned. You know, so you just have to look for all these little things that matter. I mean, for me, generally speaking, when it comes to the final week of the season, I have three or four bets tops. You know, most weeks during the course of a season, I end up by the time we get to the end of the day on a Sunday with seven or eight plays. It's generally three or four when it comes to the final week of the season for me. All right. Scott Spritzer joins us, Doc Sports, talking about week 18. Remember, two games on Saturday, Kansas City at Denver. That kicks off at 130. Chiefs, 11.5 point favorite, uh, total 45. And then the Cowboys and Eagles in the nightcap. Scott, this line is coming down. Uh, we saw the, the Cowboys a seven point favorite. Now there's fives. All over the place. This is the five fifteen game on on Saturday night. Uh, what is the reason for that? Yeah, they've got basically you know the NFC East division title wrapped up as far as the Cowboys are concerned, and and now it's a case of who's going to play and guesswork on things like that. And you know if you look at the Cowboys right now, uh, I've used this line before, and they're not unlike some teams, but right now their potential list of players who are going to miss this game reads like a Leo Tolstoy novel. I mean, it's just a mess of players. Defense in the backfield. I mean, you've got guys, you know, Trayvon Diggs, Anthony Brown. You've got Lewis. You've got four corners right now who are listed as questionable or out. Make that five. I, I forgot about another corner that was named out a couple of weeks ago and may not play again. So you've just got a mess of players who may not play in this game, and I think that's the main reason you've seen this line drop a little bit. Right. You know, this game, I'm going to bring up to you, has no bearing on, on playoff uh, at all, but I thought it was a little bit strange seeing Washington a seven-point road favorite against the Giants. Now, Washington has nothing to play for. They were eliminated last week. Uh, Giants in the same situation, and I know when they, these two teams always play each other close, they've had a one-point game when they played back in September, 
This, uh, why would Washington be a seven-point road favorite here when they're both in the exact same situation? Yeah, I think with Washington, at least except for one game when you saw the fight on the sideline a couple of weeks ago, this team has come to play each and every week. I mean, I covered with them last week. They played their tails off right. to the very end. They covered by a point, point and a half, depending on when you got the line. We're not seeing anything uh, out of the Giants in terms of you know trying to stick around and win games when they drop behind. They've lost five in a row now, both straight up and against the spread, and they've lost those games, those five games, by more than 18 points per contest. I mean, there's just... It's a situation where the Giants, you know, you never know what a team is going to come out and play hard, but they just look like they just don't care at this point. For me, I think the best thing to do with Washington, because I do think they win the game outright, just tease them down to one, you know, minus one, tease them with somebody else. That's what I'll be looking to do uh, with Washington this week rather than laying the full seven. But, again, you've got one team, two teams going nowhere, one team that's playing hard, the other team looks like they mailed it in five weeks ago. Yeah, speaking of the teaser, you could do the same thing with the Titans uh, as, as well, too. Maybe you don't even need to do it. I mean, this uh, with a win here for the Titans, uh, they'll uh, secure the number one uh, seed in the AFC, and they're playing a Texans team that is – played hard and they played San Francisco pretty well for about three quarters uh, of that game last week and uh, we've seen the Titans slip up a little bit but you know, when, when it comes uh, down to it uh, the Titans have a lot to play for in this game uh, do you advocate a play with Tennessee yeah you know it's it's one of those things where I, I think if there, there's only one play in this game and it would be to lay the points or stay away from it I'm choosing to stay away from it I did see I haven't seen an update in the last few hours but I did see where you know, you got Henry, who's positive for Tennessee as far as he's starting, you know, to come back and practice a little bit, to take some handoffs and practice. That's obviously a big deal for Tennessee as far as their motivation is concerned. But, again, double-digit favorites in that last game of the season. You just don't want to – I mean, why do you want to take a chance with something that's working 38% of the time over the last 10 years? And that's what you're doing if you take these double-digit dogs at this point. Uh, so for me, it would be, you know, when I look at these double-digit favorites, it's take that favorite or stay away from the game. And, TC, I just got to tell you that I, I stayed away from the game. I mean, again, like you just mentioned, Houston, you know, at least they're playing like they are trying to win football games, unlike the New York Giants. And you mentioned we saw them play, you know, a decent brand of football for a good chunk of the game in the last outing. Uh, there is revenge on the line for Tennessee for those right. who really play up that revenge angle. If you remember earlier this year, uh, they finished with five, a negative five turnover ratio against Houston. So there is that also. But listen, Tennessee wins. They clinch the number one seed in the conference. And I think that's pretty awesome for a team that had as many bumps and bruises they had throughout the course of the second half of the season. So, again, I haven't bet it. I probably won't, but it would be Tennessee or nothing. Right. Houston beat uh, Tennessee 22-13 going back uh, November the 21st. And that was a, a big shocker at that point in time. And they beat them in Tennessee as well, too. Scott, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. You got uh, This Ravens team has gone backwards. Uh, slew of injuries as we know we saw Pittsburgh kind of have their moment last week with Roethlisberger at home against uh, Cleveland but uh, both these teams I guess technically mathematically still alive uh, an opinion on Pittsburgh Baltimore yeah you know what I, I know the series is always close it seems like it always comes down to a field goal and I respect that in this series 
having said that, you know, I took Pittsburgh the other or last week for the Monday night football game. And then, you know, all of a sudden Cleveland's eliminated. They're missing a few players. And that line started going the other way. Pittsburgh became the favorite. I actually got them when they were still a three point dog. And I was a little concerned because a lot of times when it comes to betting, as you know, when something looks too good to be true, it is too good to be true. But Pittsburgh came through anyway, got that win by 12, ended up covering for everybody, whether you got them as a dog or a favorite. But, you know, Big Ben did not play well in his Heinz Field farewell game. You know, 24 for 46, barely over 50% of his passes. He threw for only 123 yards. TC, that's 2.67 yards per pass. They're not going to be able to run the football against Baltimore. Baltimore is going to do what they have to to stop the running game and force Ben to beat them. And not just the, the statistics, because any quarterback could come out and have a bad day, uh, although I don't know too many who have thrown 46 passes and only gained 2.7 per pass. Any quarterback could have a bad day, though. But here's the thing. What I took from that game on Monday night was Big Ben has – massive accuracy problems when he tries to throw the ball past 10 yards. And we've seen this getting worse and worse over the past couple of years. It was really, really there to be seen on Monday night. And you could see when he tries to throw that football 15 yards downfield, he just doesn't have the same zip. He doesn't have the same accuracy. And I just think it's a rather – doesn't mean it's an easy cover, but it's a rather easy prep for the Ravens. We're going to stack the line – we're not going to let you run. We're not going to let you throw dump-offs. So you better be able to throw the ball downfield. In that case, i got to lay the points with Baltimore here, TC. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, Scott Spritzer joins us. All right, Scott, let's talk about the two most meaningful games when it comes down to uh, playoff positioning and, and just a chance to get in as well, too. Let's start with uh, the Niners and the Rams. G- game will kick off at 125. We know the Niners have had the Rams number winning four in a row. The Niners are getting four points. I like the Niners as a dog here, Scott. And, you know, when you look at this Niner team, they're 9-7, and seven, but they have a top-10 offense, a top-10 defense. I really can't remember seeing uh, a team slightly over 500 that uh, – you know, has those kind of weapons on both sides of the ball and then statistically perform very, very well. The Niners have lost uh, a lot of close games, but they are more healthy now than they have been at any time this year. And I'm still not sold that uh, that this Rams team is going to be able to run the football against the Niners. When they played, uh, you know, going back in, in October when the Niners won 31-10, to the Niners held the Rams to 52 yards rushing the football, and I'm not sure that's going to change. Uh Thoughts here, Niners Rams for for a big game here at SoFi Stadium on Sunday. Yeah, I think taking those points is the way to go. You know, San Francisco has owned this matchup. Shanahan has had McVay's number, and they've won five in a row. And the thing is, you know, they've won those by almost ten points per game on average. Uh, you look at what happened last week. The Rams had to play the full 60 in their game against Baltimore. And, you know, that might take a toll too. But again, you know, I thought, boy, if I can get more than a field goal in this game, which you are, it's four and a half. I got to take the points here with the road team, the Niners. And of course this opened upwards of five and a half and then came down slowly to where it is now. Uh, Again, I'm not a huge Matt Stafford fan. I, I respect the strength of his arm, his numbers that he's put up. Uh, but I've done some shows with people over the last course of this, I don't know, let's say season or at least a couple of months. And I, and I always say to people, remember, this is a guy who piled up numbers when his team was way down on the scoreboard, when other teams were just looking to get out after building leads against Detroit over all those years. So he was piling up a lot of yardage. He was piling up a lot of statistics. 
because they couldn't run the ball because they had to come from far behind. Not only that, but he piled up a lot of yardage between the 20s. He didn't do a whole lot when he got inside the red zone. Not all his fault, obviously. He was with the bad football team. But the bottom line was is that's where a lot of his numbers came. Now, when he's expected to win games, when he's favored to win games, we've seen Stafford on a couple of occasions have some serious meltdowns between the years. And I, you know, the one that always comes back to me in a big situation or a big spot was how he played against Tennessee. And I think it was a primetime game, not you know, half the season ago, when they just took him apart. I mean, he couldn't read what they were doing pre-snap pick him off a couple of times, had at least one pick six, and the Rams were cooked because their offense couldn't do anything. That bothers me, and it seems like, obviously, that you know Shanahan has the goods as far as how to defend McVay's offense under two different quarterbacks now. And, and i got to take the points with you, man. I agree. Four and a half is kind of juicy to me. All right. Well, the game's Sunday night. It's, uh, it's all or nothing for the Chargers and the Raiders. Game gets flexed to, to prime time, and we know the Raiders are going to be doing all kinds of uh, John Madden tributes here. The Madden Cruiser will actually be here, uh, coming from uh, Canton, Ohio, as well as John Madden's bust. Uh, the Raiders are going to be honoring John Madden in, inside, outside, before the game. It is going to be a big deal. There's going to be a lot of motion you know, in, uh, in this stadium, especially in that locker room, and the Raiders have played some good football. However... On the other side, you look at the Chargers. They are the favorite in this game. And we know the Chargers have been a little uneven this year. But at least my opinion, Scott, is the Chargers are the more talented team. And I'm not sure how the Raiders are going to be able to slow down this Chargers offense, especially if they are healthy, which they look to be with Justin Herbert, with Austin Eckler at the running back position. And, of course, the wide receivers with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams and company. Uh, How do you see this game? Yeah, I, I just think the Chargers are too talented, kind of like you're hinting to there for the Raiders. And I did go ahead and lay the three in this game. And, you know, you talk about that the pregame hype that's going to be involved with honoring John Madden, who certainly deserves every honor he gets. But, you know, none of these players played for John Madden. And I would bet most of them didn't know him real well. So I don't think that that is going to really make, make any kind of a difference once this game gets underway. It is when and you're in. The Chargers have picked it up on offense. They're now fourth in the NFL in total yards per game and in passing yards per game. The average over 27 points per game, good enough for sixth in the NFL. But I really think, TC, that the main reason for the Chargers' surge on offense has been the development in the ground game. They're averaging 134.3 yards rushing per game over the past four weeks. They've topped 150 yards rushing twice in those four weeks. You could run on the Raiders, and the Chargers did so when they played the Raiders in that first meeting, the 28-14 final. They ran for over 150 yards in that game against the Raiders. I don't see anything that the Raiders have done that can slow down the Chargers' ground game. And if they get their 130 that they've been averaging of late, I, I don't think the Raiders are going to be able to stick around in this one. They've got a poor point differential. They've won just two of their last six home games. They're averaging less than 17 points per game in those six home games and allowing 24. Uh, It's a tough spot, I think, for the Raiders. Uh, The road team has been the way to go quite often in this series, and and I think it's the way to go on Sunday night. So for those listening in Las Vegas who are Raider (laughs) fans, you know, I, I, I just got to say that, you know, the value to me lies with the Chargers, and I, I went ahead and laid the field goal. Yeah, and again, a lot of people wouldn't think there would be value there with a road favorite, but then, you know, when you line that up and, and even you go back to week three, you know, the Chargers, you know, jumped out of that 21 nothing lead and won rather handily. And again, you just, it, it's really hard when you look at the, the matchups here to think that, uh, 
the, the, the Raiders are going to be able to pull off uh, this upset, especially, you know, for me, Scott, it looks like the only way the Raiders can maybe win this game if it's a shootout. And that's really not the recipe that you want to go into a game thinking, okay, we're going to outshoot, you know, uh, Justin Herbert in, in a better offense. Yeah, and I tell you what, as far as, you know, like, I, I don't, I try to, st- I do my best, TC, to stay away from matchup handicapping in the NFL. You know, it's, it's basically the NFL and the NBA is spots, situations, obviously betting lines, not teams. Every single team, even the Jaguars, is a college football all-star team. So I, I do my best to stay away from matchups. But when they're this glaring, you know, the matchup advantages, advantages with the Chargers being able to run, the Raiders unable to stop the run at times, you know, and then I do believe we have an advantage at quarterback with Herbert over Carr. I think Carr is talented. I think he is a starter in the NFL. The problem is I don't know what he's got between the ears when it comes to leading his team to wins. You know, I don't know that he's really learned how to win and bring his team and put it on his shoulders to get there in, in spots like this. Now, Herbert's young, so we haven't seen him in situations like this, but I believe it or not at this point, trust him more than I do right. Carr. So it's a situation where, you know, I hate to do matchups when it comes to handicapping pro sports because there's so much talent on both sides of the football. I always look for, the, you know, the best line, the best value, the best spot. But in this case, the matchups are just too glaring for right. me to pass up, and that's why I had to go with the Chargers. There you go. It's all part of the handicapping right there, too. All right, good stuff. Scott Spritzer. Scott, don't know if I'll have a chance to talk with you before Monday, so give our listeners a quick uh, little take. Monday night championship game. It's Georgia, the favorite, against Alabama. Yeah, I backed Bama in the SEC title game. I'm going to do so here again on Monday. Uh, they're not going to have Mechie, a wide receiver, but the depth is outstanding. The wide receiving core is next level, as we all know. Uh, they run that up, up-temple offense. You've got a Bryce Young, a five-star Heisman winner, and a quick offensive attack on one side. You've got a walk-on quarterback on the other team to lead the offense, and that's a big difference. Uh, there isn't a lot that I think Georgia can do to change what happened in that game in the SEC title game in this particular spot. And the spot I'm talking about is that up-temple attack, never letting the Georgia defensive front get off the field, wearing them down over the course of the game. It's going to be awfully tough to change that no matter what adjustments you make. All you get, what you've got to do is stop Alabama on first down. If you can do that, you can slow the temple. I don't know that they can do that for an entire football game. I don't think it's going to be a second-half blowout like we saw 41-24 in that first meeting, but I do think Bama wins this game. You know, they're 5-1 and one straight up and against the spread as an underdog under Saban. The only loss came 12, 13 years ago to Florida. They're 5-0 and straight up and against the spread of the others. They win those games by more than two touchdowns per game. I get why the line went from Georgia 1 to Georgia 3. That was all about sharp money, trusting power ratings, and I totally understand that. But I just think that Alabama getting points – you either take them or you stay away from the game when you're talking about Saban as an underdog. You got it. All right, we saw how that worked uh, You know, 37 days ago for Alabama as the underdog. No doubt uh, took care of business. All right, my man, I appreciate it as always. Great stuff. Go check him out, DocSports.com. Subscribe for uh, Scott's picks uh, there, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, TC. Take care, man. Appreciate you as always. All right, some more breaking news here. We started the show off talking about Antonio Brown. Well, and we played you audio from Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers release Antonio Brown. Uh, maybe this story that we're going to tell you now had something to do with it as well, but uh, the saga never continues. It always, it just never stops with Antonio Brown. So Antonio Brown reportedly snuck in 
an OnlyFans model, Ava Louise, into his hotel room the night before their game against the Jets and the Meadowlands. Um, he snuck her into his hotel room, and uh, this story is, I guess, gone viral now. She uh, spoke directly to the uh, to a couple news agencies about her and Antonio Brown's Saturday night hotel room rendezvous, provided screenshots of some of their messages, and described how it all started after she after he called her up on the phone, telling her to go to the Westin Hotel where the Buccaneers were staying uh, there in New Jersey. Um, he kept saying that uh, I have money for you, I have a bonus for you. I was like, what are you saying? I just thought uh, it was rather weird. I'll just uh, go see what this thing is all about because it's Antonio Brown. And uh, there it was. Snuck her in to his hotel room. There are screenshots uh, between the two. Uh, they were even texting after the game when Brown you know, took his pads off and danced around the end zone and quit. So more craziness with Antonio Brown. All right, we'll talk more uh, about this in the coming days as well, too. Don't forget, tomorrow we'll be at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas. Come on out, see the show live between 2 and 4 p.m. tomorrow. We will be there breaking it all down for you. Best bets and a whole lot more tomorrow. I want to thank Nikki Vargas, the president of the Las Vegas Aces, for joining us today. Trevor Madge, of course, from ESPN, breaking down the national championship game on Monday. We'll do more of that coming back uh, tomorrow as well as Monday, too. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, for joining us as well, too. And, of course, Scott Spritzer. If you miss any part of the show, go check it out, tcmartinshow.com. The interview with Houston Nutt yesterday, great conversation. A lot of fun, but a lot of great knowledge there regarding the championship game. Go to the website and listen to that, too, at tcmartinshow.com. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 2 o'clock at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.